Thank you, Simon. Um, if you do have a Bible, please do open with me to the psalm that Mark read earlier for us, Psalm 32. You might not have a Bible, maybe you could open it up on your phone or something like that. You'll, you'll find it very helpful to have the passage in front of you as we look at it together. Now, earlier we heard Joel share a little bit of his story of how he came to trust in Jesus. It's really encouraging. We call this in church someone giving their testimony, a public bearing witness to what one has seen and experienced and what has led them to put their trust in Jesus. Now, Joel, I know you studied an English lit degree, but you've come here because you're doing a law crossover degree, isn't that right? So you've got this bar exam in December, I think, if that goes well. You could be in the place where you're sitting hearing plenty of testimonies in the future, but a different kind of testimony in the court of law. But I guess what I want to just start off with this evening is recognizing that what Joel testified to today is the most important thing that anyone can ever testify to in life. Joel, today you've testified in front of this whole group of people that you've placed your hope in Jesus Christ, that he has saved you and that you belong to him. And so I think the psalm that Joel has picked, uh, I think there was maybe some discussion with your dad in this, I'm not sure, but in the psalm that has been picked for this service, I think it's really fitting because this is a psalm that we call a testimony psalm. It's a written testimony, a statement from an Old Testament believer, a king called David, and he's testifying of the sheer delight he has come to know through experiencing God's forgiveness. David has written this testimony psalm to share his own delightful experience of God's forgiveness, but he's written it for more than just sharing his own experience. He actually wants to convince all of those who read it coming after him that they should also call on God's name and seek his mercy so that they can experience the same forgiveness that King David had come to experience. This testimony psalm is here to lead us to the place where we experience for ourselves the joy of God's forgiveness. And we'll see that as we work down through the psalm. This testimony psalm comes to us in two main sections. It's really easily organized. The first section is this. King David shares the deep blessing and joy that comes from experiencing God's forgiveness. It's really simple. Look at the first two verses. He just breaks out into exuberant, overflowing praise. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the person that knows God's forgiveness. The Hebrew word behind that word, blessed, these Psalms were written originally in Hebrew, and the word behind that English word, blessed, asherah, it's a word that's hard to translate into English. In some translations, you'll see happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. In others, you'll see like the New Living Translation, oh, what joy is to be experienced by the person who knows God's forgiveness. The ESV translate that word simply as blessed. 
What David is doing here is he's trying to convey the deep peace, shalom, joy that he is walking in because of his experience of God's forgiveness. The thoroughness of his forgiveness is communicated by him using three different words for sin and three different words for forgiveness. Notice he says, transgression is forgiven, sin is covered, and his iniquity is not counted against him. The richness of forgiveness for the full spectrum of sins in our lives is declared. And David says to know this forgiveness. It's a very happy place to be in. But look then at how in his testimony he turns in verses 3 to 5 to explain this was not always his experience. In verses 3 and 4, he speaks of a time when he actually tried to suppress his sense of sinfulness. He tried to suppress this feeling of being guilty before God, not being right with God. He tried to press it down and ignore it, the guilt and conviction. I wonder, have any of us ever done this? I wonder, is anyone doing this right now? I remember a time when I was a teenager, similar to Joel's story. I grew up in a Christian family, and I sort of had a label Christian, though I didn't really know what that meant. I certainly was not living as a Christian should live. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to play rugby professionally. I wanted to be my own man, and and I wanted to be God of my life. I would go out with the guys and do things I shouldn't do, and I remember experiencing conviction that my life of ignoring God was not right. I would experience conviction and guilt, but I would just ignore it. I'd try to shake it off and say, it's it's all in my head. It's just my upbringing. And I thought I was happy trying to be my own man. I thought I was free, but if I'm honest, I was more burdened than ever. And look at how David in the psalm explains his process of trying to suppress the conviction he experienced in his life. It certainly didn't bring him the happiness that he just spoke of in verses 1 and 2. This pressing down and trying to ignore his guilt, it made him miserable. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. See, sometimes God convicts us of sin, that things aren't right between us and him. And yet, We do all we can to pretend we're not experiencing it. We run from it. But then, sometimes what God will do is, in grace, turn up the intensity of the feeling of being convicted because of sin. And in verse 4, that's certainly what happened to David. David writes, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The conviction he was trying to ignore felt like a burden so great that it was just sapping him of life and strength. And yet David says here that he just tried to keep suppressing that guilt, suppressing that feeling of conviction, and he just tried to shake it off. And again, I just want to ask, I wonder, is there anyone, and that's, that's what you're doing right now. You're carrying the weight of guilt because of sin and because you're not right with God and you know it. God has been at work in your life speaking to you, opening you up, but you've been running from it, running from him 
and you know that deep down there's a sort of misery in your soul because you don't know where you are with God. You feel physically not right, perhaps, spiritually not right. Maybe this evening, part of God's purpose for you is to bring you here again to hear the hope that there is in Jesus. Well, in verse 5, David goes on to testify of how he came to be relieved from this awful burden of his guilt and sin. Look at what he says. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Here's how you come into the happy state of the forgiven. You don't conceal your sin. You confess your sin. You don't hide your sin. You open it up before God. David says, essentially, in the psalm, there came a day when I stopped holding back. I stopped pretending that everything was okay. I stopped wrestling and I surrendered to God. I told him it all, the deepest and grossest realities of my sin. I poured it all out. And then notice how he summarizes what God does for him at the end of verse 5 in one simple and yet glorious line. After confessing his sin, David just says, And you, he's speaking to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's incredible. A burden lifted. I've shared this before uh, when I was doing a devotion on this psalm. um, I think it was probably a couple of years back here at Great Vic. And the word behind forgave here, uh, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Again, in Hebrew, it's a word, um, nasa, nasa. And I remember memorizing this in my Hebrew class when I was at Bible college. Um, I would always have like associ- word associations. You'd be like, NASA, what, what's that like, right? A rocket lifting off, lifting off, blasting off. Because then the word NASA in Hebrew means to lift off, to, to carry something, lift something off. And that's what David is saying here. He describes in verse 4 that his sin felt like a burden, like a heavy backpack just resting on him, crushing weight too much for him to bear. And yet when he turned to God and confessed his sin, God came and lifted off that burden from his back. And that's what God can do for every one of us this evening. All the transgressions, all the sins, all the iniquities, totally taken away from you. Never to rest on your shoulders again. Total liberation from sin, from guilt, from condemnation, from feeling bad before God. How can this be? How can God just lift our sins off of us? Well, because when we turn over to the New Testament... We hear the good news of the gospel that God, in love, did not leave us to languish in our sin and our rebellion against him, but in love he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, his son, to bear our burdens, to pay the debt for our sins so that he could take them away from us forever. The apostle Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, 
explains how we can be forgiven from our sins in 1 Peter 2.24. He explains what Jesus did on the cross, saying, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. In John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress, there's a section where Bunyan describes this experience of having the burden of your sins lifted off you so beautifully. The main character of the book, his name is Christian, and he represents someone who comes to Christ by faith and seeks to walk with God. But before he comes to Jesus savingly, he's depicted as carrying the burden of a sin, like a big burden, a backpack that is too heavy for him to carry. And then with this big burden of his sin on his back, Christian runs up the road called salvation. And then we read this of Christian. He ran until he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross. And a little below in the bottom, a tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell off from his back. And it began to tumble, and it continued to do so, till it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life from his death. For me, that is one of the most beautiful statements of what happens when someone becomes a Christian. We come to the cross and the burden of our sin falls away and it tumbles down and down into the tomb, Christ's tomb, and we never see it again. I am so, so thankful that the burden of my sin has been loosed from off me. It has gone into the tomb, into death with Jesus. I'll never see it again. I hope if you're a Christian here this evening, in your heart you're saying, yes, Lord. And that does not mean we're perfect people. It doesn't mean that we suddenly live perfect, sinless lives. No, we continue to struggle with our sins. Yes, we're just beggars who have found bread telling other beggars where the bread store is. But we know that that sin, that condemnation, it will not be counted against us. That's how David opens the psalm. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He'll never count a Christian's sin against them. Never. That is incredible. And I just want to ask, do you know anything of this blessedness in your life? So here, this is just the first section of the psalm. David shares his story, his testimony of the blessedness that he has experienced in not hiding his sin, but confessing his sin and finding forgiveness and freedom in the Lord's grace. But now, in the second part of the psalm, he calls everyone listening in and everyone who's reading this psalm to come and do what he has done. That's why I said at the beginning, it's not just a psalm where he testifies so that we'll understand his story. He also wants us to convince us that we must do what he has done. Verse 6 is the very centerpiece of the psalm. David turns the corner and says, Therefore, in light of this, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. 
That's the main point of the psalm. David is saying, while God is convicting and calling, don't keep ignoring him. Be a godly one. Turn in a Godward direction. Don't leave it too late to the point when you won't be able to find him. And then after David looks up and and says, so look, everyone, you turn to him and pray to him while he may be found. Then he unpacks three blessings that come with this running to God instead of running away from him. First blessing, you'll be delivered yourself from the dangers of your sin. At the end of verse six, we're told, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. David there is speaking of the dreadful waters of God's wrath and judgment against sin. He's saying if you turn and seek forgiveness and seek mercy and seek refuge, ultimately we know in Jesus Christ, then God will become our hiding place, our refuge that we can run to, as Simon mentioned at the beginning of the service. We'll be preserved, surrounded, David says, with shouts of deliverance. That hiding place for us is Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his death, exhausted the judgment of God against our sin. And if we come to Jesus, we will be brought safely into the hiding place of our God where no wrath from God can ever touch us. And we will be those people, it's beautiful, who are surrounded with shouts of deliverance. That's amazing. Think about just that line in the psalm. The person who's found deliverance from their sin, there'd be this shouts of deliverance. I think that's other people saying, he's a saved one, or she's a saved one. They're delivered, they're saved. That's amazing. Surrounded with, you imagine, the the cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us in the faith, the angelic host celebrating another saved one. Surrounded with shouts of deliverance, another one delivered. So there's the first blessing that comes from calling on the Lord for mercy. You'll be delivered from the dangers of your sin. The second blessing is that God then will become your guide through life. In verse 8, David takes the role of a prophet, God's spokesman, as we hear God's commitment to the one who has confessed sin and turned to God for refuge. Here's the voice of God. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Joel, isn't it wonderful that that truth is yours? And for anyone else here who's a Christian, isn't it wonderful that that word is spoken to us? Here is the Father in his fatherliness. I'll instruct you, I'll teach you through life in the way you should go. I'll counsel you, my eye will be upon you. I'll be watching over you. That's a wonderful promise. And it reminds us that our God is not just seeking converts, but disciples. God is not happy to let us just take the confession and forgiveness and then just get on with the rest of our lives ignoring him. No, God graciously offers to be intimately involved in our lives, instructing, counseling, like a good father watching over us, his children. God will become your guide through life. Then the third blessing that David mentions is when you confess your sin and you come to peace with God through Jesus, you'll know the surrounding love of God as you trust him. 
That's what David says in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Straying away from God brings you into sorrow. Drawing near enfolds you into his steadfast love. It doesn't mean you'll never have hard times, but it means even in the deepest pit, his love goes deeper. After these lessons and this exhortation that David gives, we get the closing words of verse 11 that bring us right back to the delight and blessing that the psalm started with. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David now, in a sense, lifts his eyes not to those who are unbelievers, but here he addresses those that have come to know Jesus and, and come to know hope that there is in forgiveness. He's saying to those that have experienced God's forgiveness, you have so much to be glad about, so many reasons to rejoice, so righteous ones shout for joy, you who are upright in heart, you're right before God. A couple of years back, I was taking our two boys, Hudson and Elliot, camping in the morns, and um, we parked in Carrick Little Car Park and set off uh, walking to get to the Anlong Forest, and uh, the walk was due to take us about an hour or so, but we kind of wanted to try and find the perfect camping spot, so we kept walking on and on and on. There was a lot of excitement, uh, especially in the boys, as we set off. Um, but something I hadn't fully appreciated was that the boys were too young to carry anything really of any significant weight. And I had quite a bit to carry myself. Three sleeping bags, three camping mats, our tent, our cooking gear, food, water, all on my shoulders. They had wee tiny backpacks for the sake of just having a backpack because it was cool, but there was nothing in them. Maybe a few bits of bacon or something like that. The hike started off quite pleasant, but it wasn't long before I felt the weight of that rucksack pulling down on my shoulders, and it burnt. It was like a burning pain. The walk, which was to take an hour, ended up taking two hours, and I can tell you, when we finally reached the camp, I would have camped anywhere, I can tell you that at one point. When we finally got to the, sp the spot where everyone was happy, I got to take that heavy rucksack off my back, and I'm telling you, I was the happiest man on earth. I just felt, it was like, oh, the freedom of not having that burden. Well, in this last verse, David is saying, spiritually, that's what's happened to every Christian. The burden, Jesus has come to you and he said, let me take that. That's a burden you can't carry. And so David, at the end of this psalm, just looks up on those who are righteous, who have received forgiveness and God's kind gift of righteousness and grace. And he just says, oh, you be glad about that. Never forget to rejoice in your salvation. Shout for joy. You have so many reasons to be thankful. So Psalm 32, a testimony psalm. It stands as an invitation to each of us to come out from under the burden of sin and guilt and to start living in the light-shouldered gladness of God's grace. Sin and guilt is a burden that none of us can carry 
we're have to carry because of Jesus. And I find the truths of God's total forgiveness in this psalm the greatest antidote to guilt that I know of. To just preach to myself, I am blessed because my transgressions are forgiven, my sins covered, my iniquity will never be counted against me. Praise the Lord for that reality. Do you know it yourself? Isn't it amazing that Joel has come to know this reality? This evening in his baptism, just publicly professing before Saul, this is my hope. That burden has been lifted off of me and Jesus. And that can be your reality. And I would dearly love one day to be standing with you here and putting you through the waters of baptism and speaking in this way of your hope. But it doesn't have to be me doing that. The most important thing this evening is that you turn to Jesus and find your all and all in him. Perhaps one of the best New Testament commentaries on this psalm is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where another early follower of Jesus, the Apostle John, just put it like this. This is so clear. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, every sin. So Psalm 32, a testimony of joy, the joy of experiencing God's forgiveness. Let me ask you again as we close, do you know anything of this joy yourself? If not, turn and confess your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. And have him lift the burden of your sin off of you. And follow him with a thankful heart. If you do know, if you're saying, yes, I do know this. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice in your salvation. Be thankful every day. And let's also be those who even this week go out and share our own testimony of our glad experience of God's forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to rejoice in Christ alone. The one who sent from you, Father, came to bear our sin and take it away from us through his death and resurrection. And if we are united to him by faith, then his death, we receive all the benefits of it. It's a death that strips away our sin and our sinful nature. And because of his resurrection, we have new life, forgiven, given a new start. The burden of sin lifted off us and we go out in the light shoulder to goodness of your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. And if there's anyone here tonight and they themselves are sitting here going, I don't know that salvation. I don't know that forgiveness, but I need to. Oh, I pray that they wouldn't run anymore, but would confess their sins and find hope and life in you. Spirit of the living God, awaken life, we pray. And for those of us who do know this hope, oh Lord, stir our affections again that we would be those rejoicing, saying, oh, how good it is to know this salvation. 
And I pray especially for Joel this evening that he would be going out this week and that he would know the protection of you as his refuge. That his testimony would be one that he carries with him through life of the hope he's found in Jesus. And that you would encourage him and his family and friends who are with him this evening, that you would encourage them and that you would especially encourage his grandparents and parents and that they would be more joyful than ever for your salvation. So Lord, bless and encourage us as we respond tonight. And if there's anyone here and they, that they want to get right with you, we pray that even now they would just be opening their heart and that by your spirit you'd be doing a great work of renewal. Just continue to work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to stand now and respond by singing a beautiful hymn that rejoices in Christ alone, our salvation. So let's stand together and praise God.
now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.